Um, yeah, fun doing all this technical stuff in the middle of construction and having <laughs> so appreciate you guys' patience with this. And uh, as you can see, I think the end result will, will greatly benefit the body and, and growth here. And uh, so I just want to say thank you for, first of all, your giving, your sacrificial giving towards the work here at Falls, uh, but also your patience as we as we uh, go through this construction. Really appreciate it. And as far as the Carr family is concerned, hopefully uh, those that weren't here last week had a chance to see them online. And uh, they, they just uh, they have the southern soul sound. Uh, you just can't beat, right, Jerry? Just like yeah, just like Kevin. That's the... Yeah. All right. Um, so they, uh, just to give you an idea of where they're at, they, they came over the night before they were going to leave and they said, if, the, if we didn't have a cat back home, we'd just stay. So, um, they are, they are, uh, convinced that this is God's call in their life to come out here and to come and, and, uh, labor with us. And so that is encouraging. Um, they're not asking for any money or anything like that. They just want to come and serve the Lord. I'm so grateful for that. And so be, please be in prayer. He had a job interview on Friday, and he's um, going to get the house uh, on the market next week. And they, they want to be here as soon as possible. So please pray for them and, and God's providence for them. I uh, would be grateful. We're going to be in uh, Galatians chapter 4. We're going to start Galatians chapter 4 this morning. We uh, finished up the end of Galatians 3 last week. And... Uh, we're just going to do seven verses today. We're focused on seven verses in Galatians 4. So Galatians 4, 1 through 7. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with you, turn with me to those. Uh, the, if everything works, the, the Scripture should also be up on the screen behind me. So you can follow along there as well. If you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to follow along and check me, that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, there's a Bible underneath your seat in front of you that you should be able to follow along if you'd like to do that as well. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. The word of the Lord says this. Now I say that as long as the the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. And when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent his spirit, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. What an encouraging passage of Scripture for us, of those of us who are in Christ Jesus this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you again, and we just ask that you would meet with us. We ask, God, that through the power of your Spirit, you would make these words that are in a book and make them alive And uh, through the power of your spirit, uh, uh, give us the life that is in these words, Father. This inspired word that you've uh, promised to preserve for us, God. We we pray that this might be a time that you would work in our hearts. That we would walk out of here 
looking and feeling and walking a little more closer to Jesus, Father. And I pray for those who may not have a relationship with Jesus, who are not under the blessing he has provisioned for us, Father, that today would be the day that your spirit would convict them of their need to turn from all else and trust in Christ alone and his accomplished work, that they too may know and walk in your blessing. Father, we ask that you bless this time now. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so this is Paul's building off of in, uh, in Galatians 4. He's building off of what he, we had just talked about last week, how Paul has made an, uh, an argument up to this point that God had never intended to save a people by keeping the Mosaic Law. There's ten commandments that uh, God laid out uh, to Moses on Mount Sinai were never God's intention for, to, for a people to be saved by. If we follow these rules and if you do it long enough and if you do it more consistently than, than you don't and your good outweighs your bad, then maybe God will, will wink at you and let you in. And that has never been the case. God established his law to demonstrate, as we talked about last week, our need for a Savior. He gave us the law to show us how sinful we truly are in the eyes of a holy God, how depraved we truly are, how separated we truly are. God said, this is the standard that you must meet to have relationship and to abide in my presence. And the Old Testament is the testament of the children, or testimony of the children of Israel, who time and time again, even little prophets were called and the law was given to them, they would seek after God for a short time and then ultimately fall away. Time and time again, falling short. We talked about last week how in Romans chapter 3, Paul declares not only the children of Israel, but all have a, that are born are born in this presence of this creation, and they are born with the conscience of the heart, the, and they are without excuse. We are all under the sin uh, condition that we were born with. We were separated from God, the, the Genesis account talks about. We're separated from who we truly were designed to be. And that is to be worshipers of our one true God. Instead, because of our separated condition, we are, this world is just full of historical examples of people going out and making gods in bronze images or making gods out of people or gods out of themselves and defining the truth for their own selves. And time and time again, we see just how separated we truly are. And so, as we spoke about last week, God gave the Mosaic Law to the children of Israel, to Moses, but ultimately to us, he's preserved it and recorded it for us so we can look into the mirror of God's Word and just see how truly separated we are. If we didn't have that, we could say, well, we, we would do that. Well, I've done, enough, I've done more good than bad. I'm not a murderer, so, so God should let me in. And according to the standard God has laid out, we all fall short. There's nothing we can do in our own righteousness to ever repay what we've done in our sin. And so it was never God's intention. And this is the good news. This is the really good news that God gave Abraham a promise 430 years before he gave Moses the law. And he promised that his seed would be the means in which God would save a people. And we talked about last week, and we learned about last week, how ultimately that seed is singular. That seed that the blessing he gave Abraham, the promise of blessing he gave Abraham, is fulfilled in Jesus. 
that he is the one that receives God's blessing because he is God's son. The beautiful, the good news is that all those who hear this message of the gospel, the gospel means good news. This is some really good news. All those who hear and receive and believe Jesus Christ as their Savior are saved, are added into the body of Christ. And if we're in Christ this morning, we are benefactors of the blessing of Abraham. Because it was given to Christ, and if we're in Christ, we are the heirs of the blessing and promise given to Abraham. That was always was God's intention. He knew he could that the, there was no other way that we could have a restoration of our relationship with our God only through what he would do through the promise given to Abraham. He who promised is faithful. We hearken back to Genesis 15 when he made that promise to Abraham. He says, I'm going to give you a nation. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to, give you, I'm going to bless you. Through you, the blessing will go to many nations. All that is fulfilled in Christ. And he put, when he did the ceremony, he put Abraham asleep to, to make sure Abraham knew he had nothing to do with it. It was all a work of God. And so we today, some 2,000 years later, can boldly proclaim the words of Christ in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith, trusting in what Christ has done, not of yourselves. It is a gift given to us by God. It's not of works lest any man should boast. That's the promise that we find ourselves in for those who see their need of short. There's no amount of religion, there's no amount of good works that we can do to rectify that. We can only turn from those things and trust in Christ's accomplished work alone. Man, I'm going down a rabbit trail. I haven't even started my sermon. I better get on this round. So going back to Genesis, Galatians chapter 3, I just wanted to bring these back into our, our memories. Because Galatians 4, 1 through 7, Paul builds on, these, uh, on this statement here in 27 through 29. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. See this gift? This believing and trusting in Jesus is not just some ticket we get so we can go to heaven someday and play harps. This is a radical work done by our God to save us and to rescue us from what we truly deserve. We've been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And there it lies. You place your faith in Christ. You're placed into Christ. You receive Christ's blessing. You receive eternal life. You are no longer under the curse of God in your sin, but you are now in the blessing promised to Abraham through Christ. And we see here these words. How There is just so much in this world that is trying to divide us through the, the sex that we are or the race that we are or the political group we aspire to espouse but in the gospel in Christ there is no Jew or Greek there's no slave or free male or female you are all one in Christ Jesus so we have these 
five points here. The first one is according to the promise. They're all start with letter A. So we're saved according to the promise. We're reminded of that. Verse 29, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Because Christ has fulfilled it. And for in Christ, then we're heirs of the promise given through Abraham. And it's here in Galatians 4, God allowed this to happen. God allowed to come Jesus to come into his creation at the appointed time. Verses 1 through 3, Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. And so we talked about it last week, how God used the law and he used the history of, of mankind to demonstrate to mankind the sinfulness that we, of who we truly are. And he, he allowed the law to be the guide rails to try to keep his people in line with his desire, his standard that a holy God demands. And he began this illustration last week that um, in this time period, well-to-do Greeks and well-to-do to, um, Romans would, would, would have slaves in their household and they would, they would make a slave uh, be, watch over their children. They'd be tutors. They'd raise them up. They'd uh, you know, make sure the kids stayed in line according to the wishful, wishes of the parents. They would teach them. And Paul uses this illustration to show what the law was to do, was to keep us in line until, as he's saying here, the appointed time. God does not do anything prematurely. He sees everything from the beginning to the end. And at the appointed time, he allowed his son, Jesus, to come from the heaven, enter into his creation at the exact appropriate time. This was not plan B or plan C or plan D. This was the plan from the foundation of the world. At the appointed time, God sent his son we can have confidence that God is in control. We look around in this world and we see chaos spinning out of control and we wonder, we sometimes may doubt, what is God doing? Scriptures declare again and again, he knows the end from the beginning. He is in control. He has not abdicated his throne. He is in control and he's working all things together for good and according for his glory. So we have the appointed time. We have the, uh, uh, the apology. I started with A's, and so I had a hard time finding a, a good word that started with A. Apologia really is the, is the Greek word, and it means to be in defense, to give a defense. And so Paul is forming an argument in this letter to demonstrate to us that it was through the promise. It's never been through the law that we can have relationship with him. And this is his defense. This is why... He thinks it is, has everything to do with God's promise and not keeping the law. His defense is the gospel. When the time came to completion, God sent his son. God sent his son. God's born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. 
so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And so this is the good news. This is the gospel. The gospel is not some institutionalized religious hierarchy system. The gospel is an historical account that happened over 2,000 years ago where God the Son came into his creation, lived the law, that standard that we were talking about, how we all fall short. Well, guess what? God is, Jesus is God in the flesh. He stepped into his creation and lived that law for us. That is the standard that God requires. We cannot keep it, but Jesus could. He met that standard for us. That's the good news. God sent his son. Jesus is from above, and we don't get this from religious handbooks somewhere. We get it from the scriptures that God's promised to preserve us, and we were in John before we were in Galatians. And uh, this is John 8, just this is so striking to me. John, Jesus is confronting the religious leaders of the time, and he tells them straight out, You are from below, you're of this earth. I am from above, he told them. He says, you are of this world. I am not of this world. Jesus is the unique, amagones, unique son of God. Therefore I told you, and this is the warning that he gave them, if you don't believe this, if you don't believe who I've revealed myself to be, he says, therefore I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. God sent his son from above to be born of a woman, to take on flesh, to become a man, to be our kinsman redeemer. What an amazing thing God has done for us. But that's the importance of the virgin birth. Jesus is unique. We were born and we can trace our lineage back to Adam and Eve. And so we're all born under this curse that was given to Adam and Eve. But Jesus was not. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew writes, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Joseph, right, he, he understands that uh, he's just been told that his betrothed wife is going to have a baby. And they haven't, they haven't had relations. So he's like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And so this angel comes and says, don't worry. Don't be afraid to, make, to make, take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. And so that's why we stand firm. That is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith that, that Jesus was, Mary was virgin, uh, Jesus was born from a virgin. Old Testament prophesies of that. We see the importance of it because if Jesus was just like us, if he was just a, a man like you and I and just had the same lineage, then he would be sinful just like us. But he's the unique one. Born, took upon flesh, but born of God. Born under the law. He was subject to the standard of God's law as a man. He he was born under this law that all brings condemnation to all of us. But because he was also 100% God, he was able to live that law perfectly for us. He was born under the law. He was subject under God's standard. And he was perfectly able to fulfill it. He says in Matthew 5, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
He came to live the life that you and I could not do. This is the good news. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, born to redeem those under the law. Substitutionary atonement. This perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of God, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, would ultimately go to the cross. He would be um, whipped and, and, and slain and all those things, the crown of thorns, all those physical things, but he was hung on a cross. And on that top cross, the scriptures declared that son, the, it became dark for three hours. And the scriptures declared that Jesus bore the wrath for sin that you and I deserve. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that he could stand in our place to redeem us from what we truly deserve. He purchased our salvation because he took the punishment, the eternal punishment that you and I deserve upon himself so he could redeem us. That's the good news. So that we could, and ultimately so that we could receive adoption. We could be adopted into God's family. John 1.12 speaks of this. Jesus came into his own, but his own did not receive him. But those who, who believe and receive Jesus as their Savior are, are then adopted or added into the family of God. We are pulled out of the first Adam and the curse of sin that we're born in, and we're placed because of Jesus' vicarious, substitutionary work that he has done for us, for all those who would trust in that alone. We are placed into the family of God. And no longer is our God a God of just and holiness and and must judge. We are now his children. Verse 6, And because you are sons... Or daughters. The Greek was written in masculine. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. When you trust and believe in Christ, a supernatural work occurs where the spirit of God makes you born again. He pulls you out of the first Adam and into the last Adam. The spirit of God comes in and indwells as the promise that indwells us and changes us and, and regenerates us and makes us and gives us a new heart that pursues after God, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And most commentators would say that Abba is a term of endearment, like we would say daddy, no longer just, he is, still remains just and holy. But as his children, we have a different relationship with him now. The gospel, the good news of the gospel is that we enter back into the relationship God has originally designed for humankind. To be his people. To be completely dependent upon him. To live a life for his glory. Through the gospel, through what Jesus has done, he's made a way for us to be able to do that. Verse 7, so you're no longer a slave. The law binds us, condemns us, keeps us bound in bondage. But now that Christ has come and those who receive Jesus and trust in the, the gospel work, you're no longer bound or condemned by the law because you are now a son or a daughter. And if a son or a daughter, 
then God has made you an heir. There's an inheritance coming that is not of this world. It's spoken of in Revelation, the new heaven and the new earth. All things will be made right. All those who are not in Christ Jesus will be judged according to their works, but there will be no more sorrow. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more pandemics. There'll be an eternity, a bliss, where we will be God's people and He will be our God. That is the inheritance that you're given if you trust in Christ Jesus this morning. Will you trust Him? Will you believe on the Lord Jesus and what He's done for you so that you too can be pulled out of what you truly deserve and adopted into the family of God? I pray that today would be the day. And so what is the application for us? I've mentioned adoption several times now because it's frankly my favorite doctrine. God's my dad. I love that. I've no working of my own. I have this unique relationship with my creator now as his son as a child of the one true king. And so what is the application for us who are in Christ this morning? And I thought maybe it might be a good way to apply this passage of Scripture, this understanding of what Christ has done and has been a, now we're adopted into his family by way of contrast. And Jesus' earthly ministry, he's recorded a, these people, he, he's giving this stern warning here in Matthew 7. 21 through 23. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And on that day, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? Look at all these works that we've done. We've even added Jesus to it. And what's his response? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. That will be the judgment for all who tried to demonstrate their righteousness in the eyes of a holy God in and of their own works and self-righteousness. To be saved from that Coming judgment can only happen by placing your faith in Christ's atoning work, being added into the family of God, and becoming an heir of what he's purchased for us. And instead of that warning, all of us that are in Christ Jesus this morning have this beautiful relationship that we now have with our Creator. And I think it's captured very well in Psalm 139. This is David just writing his heart a prayer to God. This might be a prayer that I would recommend to you if you're feeling down and discouraged. If your walk in this world does not line up with your positional uh, promises that are given to us in Christ, this is a prayer that you might pray back to God. Because it's about identity, right? 
This is who we are in Christ. Christ has made us children of God, and this world wants to smush that thought. It wants us to be victims of our past or victims of our addiction or victims of circumstances of this world. And those of us who are in Christ Jesus, their our identity is in Christ. We are children of God. That is who we are. That is the identity God has placed upon us. We go out this week and We'll be attacked and someone will say something and trigger some shame that we've been holding on to from the past or, or maybe the, something that we've done in the past or maybe something that somebody's done for, to you in the past. And, that, and then we, we live in that, that shame or that besetting sin that the world likes to call addiction that we just can't get past. And so we're, we identify with, with what we're addicted to. If you're in Christ Jesus, your identity is in Him. You're a child of the one true King. That is your identity. And this is a prayer that we can pray back to God and say, Lord, and that's the hardest walk of our faith, right? For me, the Spirit did a marvelous, magical work when the gospel was, not magical, but a supernatural work when the gospel was preached to me. The Spirit convicted me of my need for Him, and I turned and believed in Christ. It was a work of God. But now He's called me to a work of faith, or to a walk of faith, where I have to see who God has done, what God has done for me, and then try to align my walk in this world with what He's called me to be. And sometimes those two don't really look the same. And that's why it's a walk of faith. Because no matter what I do this week, in my own righteousness, no matter where I fail this week, God has called me to believe and trust in his promise that what he's done to me in Christ, or with Christ, I am a child regardless of what I do. I'm a child of the one true king. Lord, he says, David says, you have, so we see these people that did not know God, the coming judgment that Jesus is warning, and then we see Someone who knows God, who has relationship with God. Lord, you have searched me and known me, David says. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. He's he's admitting, Lord, you know everything. There's nothing we can hide from our God. And it's okay because he's our dad. He's made a way for us to have relationship in spite of what we're doing. Nothing's going to surprise him. You're not keeping anything from God. We can come here and we can put on false pretenses and say everything's fine, but we all have struggles. We're all struggling with things. And because you're a child of God, you can go to God and you can know that he knows exactly where you're at. And he loves you regardless. Because you're in the righteousness. You're clothed in Christ, righteousness of Christ and not your own. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. Not only is he observing where we're going out in the day, but while we're sleeping, our Creator God observes us and knows who we are. The God who spun all this universe into creation is holding everything together by his good pleasure and good power and good will. 
all, all the way down to the DNA and the molecule. He's, he's keeping it all together, but yet he knows you personally. He knows your every thought. He's got the hairs on your head counted. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. To be in Christ is to be under the blessing of God. God's hand of protection upon us. God's hand, he's not going to allow anything to happen to you that he does not work out for his good and for, for our good and for his good and for his glory. And we can trust in that. Verse 6, this wondrous knowledge is beyond me. Right? David's like, man, when I really consider who you are, God, and what, it's beyond me. That is our God. Our God does not fit neatly in some box. He is the creator God. And all things were created for his good pleasure. He goes on, this wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. And look at these questions. Where can I go to escape your spirit? There's nowhere we can hide. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus in the New Testament context, the spirit of God indwells us. There's no pulling the window shade down on God. There's nowhere to hide. Where can I escape your spirit? He says, where can I flee from your presence? I will, if I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the, the, the place of the, of the dead, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. It's not that he just knows where we are, but he's leading us. He is the good shepherd. He leads and guides his children. This is who you are in Christ. This is the relationship that Christ has purchased for you, that you too can have this type of walk with your creator, with your God. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Nothing is too great for God. His understanding is infinite. Verse 13, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. David's acknowledging that the uniqueness of every human being in this world is because God made them unique. God knitted us in our mother's womb. He's created you for a purpose. And this is a verse that we need to, in this society today, need to stand firm on. That a baby inside of a mother's belly is not just tissue. It is a unique creation knitted by God who deserves life. For it was you who created my inner parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
He says, verse 14, I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your version might say, your translation might say, I have, you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. God has made you unique and for a purpose. It's, you're not a mistake. He's created you to, to, for a specific purpose, and, and, and the struggles that you have are, are not in vain. They're, they're all for, to, to work out for his good and for your good and for his glory. I sit across the table speaking with people and their identity is wrapped up in all the shortcomings that they have in their life. And it breaks my heart because God says differently. God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And David understands this and he gives God praise. I will praise you because you, I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous. So if God has made you, then you are a wonder of God's work. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. Verse 15, my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Verse 16, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. You're in Christ Jesus this morning. Your days were written in his book. The day you came into existence, the day you're going to leave this earth, are all according to God's good pleasure and his will. We cannot add 10 minutes to our life or even a minute to our life or even a second to our life that God has not ordained. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. I hope that gives you confidence. I hope that encourages you this morning that if you're in Christ Jesus, God has not abdicated his throne. He is in control. He's called you and made you for a purpose. The first step in seeking and finding that purpose is to enter into a relationship with him through believing and trusting in Christ and his accomplished work alone. I pray if the Spirit is convicting you that, that you would call out to Christ and ask him to save you. I can't save you. I can point you to in scriptures to how, if you have questions or how you can have a more of an assurity of what he's revealed is, is truly that. But if the Spirit of God is convicting you, Jesus saves you. Call out to him. Ask him to save you. And I testify that he who promised is faithful and he will do so. Father God, we come before you and just are thankful, Lord, that you've given us salvation that's not of our own account, not of our own.